the name of the values that keep you alive do not let your vision of man be distorted by the ugly, the cowardly, the mindless, and those who have never achieved his title. Do not lose your knowledge that man's proper estate is an upright posture, an intransigent mind, and a step that travels on limited roads. Do not let your fire go out sparked by replacing the spark and hope the swamps of the approximate are not quite the not yet and not at all. The world you desired can be won. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. Hey guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I'm here with Joseph Kelly of Unchained Capital. Thanks so much for being here, Joseph. Thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. So Joseph is here to talk a little bit about crypto as collateral. Um, so Joseph, if really briefly before we get into your company, Unchained Capital, if you could go into how you got there, what your background is, some of the other companies that I know you've started in the past, uh, just to lead people into how you got where you are today. Sure. So um, I'm primarily driven by learning and, and you know, my mind just likes to go where there's uh, kind of more facts to uncover, more ways to, to learn how the world works. And um my uh, for kind of first, uh, I guess, big professional project around that was a company I started with two co-founders called InfoChimps. Um, we got started in uh, 2008 or so. The early idea was to be a data marketplace, a place you could find uh, all kinds of data about the world. We had um, at our peak about 15,000 or so data sets covering everything from census data to weather data to stock prices and um, sports scores and things like that. Um, and so, you know, we, I, at the time, I just really believed in, still do, that, you know, data is just an uh, important um, aspect of our economy and, and our ability to understand data, use it within our jobs and, and how we make decisions is um, kind of a, a key skill and, and asset. So in trying to build a service and develop um, a company along those lines was really the early thesis. We really struggled uh, building a content business. It was early in the kind of big data uh, wave, big data hype cycle, maybe. And, um, you know, not everyone was really equipped to even handle their own data. And that, that's something we kind of learned about halfway through. So we yeah. pivoted the business and um, decided to help people with their own data. And that, that meant we took our technology, took what we built to host that data marketplace. And uh, we provided that to uh, large Fortune 500 companies like a State Farm Insurance or Cisco and folks like that uh, who had big uh, analytics projects they needed to um, deploy and they needed good infrastructure to, to put that on. So we were the company for that. Uh, we sold that business to Computer Sciences Corporation in 2013. Um, I like to joke that uh, you know for the first time in my life, I had a little bit of money I felt I could afford to lose and <laughs> yeah. so bought some Bitcoin with that. <laughs> um, well, there you go. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of buy. It's sure. It, it ended up, you know, in hindsight, it, there's a you know, look really smart there for a few months and then you look kind of dumb, but um, yeah. you really wasn't in it so much for the money as just what what there is to kind of learn here is I think, you know, Bitcoin and blockchains are a really interesting lens uh, from which to uh, learn about the world, learn about how markets work and um, how financial transactions, how our economy has kind of grown and how how much happens in the background that we don't even know, whether it's central bankers or you know, how loans and lending works and uh, various capital flows um, to, to kind of learn about this stuff through um, this this new technology as a lens has been a lot more interesting and fun, I think, than you're just trying to learn about it on its own. So looking at InfoChimps through the lens of blockchain, is there 
anything you think you could have done with data to make it more secure? I know you talked, or at least I think I read on one of your co-founders' LinkedIn's that you might have handled some things like voter data. Um, and obviously that's something a lot of people are talking about as far as security. So are there any lessons you think could be learned from handling data as far as making it more secure, making people feel more comfortable with giving companies their data? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm not too familiar with uh, a lot of the implementations of folks kind of trying these data marketplaces in the blockchain arena, but I think there's, uh, there's something you, for us, it's always really important to have good provenance with whatever data you're working with. You want to know that it, it's trustworthy and um, shoot, you know, if you can know down to the whatever sensor collected that piece of information um, for every row of, of data maybe you're, you're looking at, uh, that's really useful. You know, things like census data and, you know, data, again, this problem of you're usually trusting that somebody, some third party did a good enough job preparing it and making it high quality. And so usually the way you're, the reasons you're trusting a data source is because um, of just somebody's reputation. So there's some kind of interesting analogies there between how um, you know, financial intermediaries uh, act and, and are potentially disrupted with um, within the kind of public blockchain ecosystem. So, um, but what, what would we do differently? Uh, I'm not really sure. At that, uh, that I'm not sure I could have an, have an answer for that off the top of my head. Yeah, just thought, you know, it's interesting that you've sort of been through all these different sectors and I'm sure each time you learn a little bit a little bit about something that might help, you know, along the line later for some of these other companies. So how did you sort of come come up with the idea for Unchained Capital and what was the problem that you saw that you were trying to solve? So yeah, my, as I mentioned, you know, first really bought in, in 2013, uh, some, some Bitcoin and um, it was just kind of held on to the stuff. Uh, my co-founder, one of my co-founders from InfoChimps, he and I knew we wanted to work together on something else. And so when it came to looking at what kind of projects to start, we uh, wanted to go again where, where kind of curiosity took us. So we knew Bitcoin and blockchain was high in that list, but when it came to what we did with our Bitcoin, we didn't do much. And we thought that we probably weren't alone in that respect. And um, at least there, and after that kind of crash in early 2014, as Bitcoin's only trading at a few hundred dollars, yeah, uh, yeah. there's really there's a, a long kind of flat period there where we thought, um, geez, wouldn't you like to still get some value out of this stuff? You know, we think it's going to be worth a lot more someday. Um, so it'd be silly just to sell, just you know, in case for, for you know, some other kind of purpose or use of the of the stuff. So. Uh, what are ways we can kind of have our cake and eat it too? And as we thought about it, we thought we would probably want a loan. So we started you know, interviewing customers, uh, potential customers, and figuring out what are they doing with their Bitcoin. Um, turns out they're you know, not much, many on the same boat. And then you can also download you know, the public blockchain and see and analyze it for yourself and say, well, how much Bitcoin actually moves? What, what are people um, doing with their Bitcoin? And uh, at the time, and really up until uh, last year's kind of frenzy, uh, pretty definitively, you could say there's about 60% of all Bitcoin hadn't moved in 12 months or more. And so that, that's a sizable fraction. Even at then, yeah. those, you know, as Bitcoin's market cap was only maybe $8, to $8 billion or so. And that's still you know, many billions of dollars worldwide that are it's like digital mattress money. Uh, people are just sitting on it. So we thought there, there ought to be some way for folks to leverage it and use it. And certainly it was going to take a lot more time before traditional financial institutions did something about that. So we thought um, that that was an opportunity for us. Yeah, I really enjoyed your article about all the lost Bitcoin that's probably sitting around trying to figure out what the actual supply is because you hear stories all the time about some guy whose wife threw away his desktop with, you know, a couple million on it and it's in some dump somewhere. Uh, so it's interesting to think about how, you know, the supply might be affecting value, but also how many people really aren't more specifically transacting with Bitcoin as much as with some of the other coins coming forward. So do you think 
Bitcoin is going to be held more like gold, more like sort of the standard asset class that you want to be holding if, you know, you're just trying to sit on something for a long time. And is that why you guys have focused more on Bitcoin specifically? Yeah, I mean, it's we focus on it because it's the, the market leader. It's, uh, um, it's got the biggest market cap and uh, in, in most most broadest base of, of holders. Um, you know, our, our, our customer base and our, our product is limited to people who already have cryptocurrency. And ideally, you have a lot of it, um, at least yeah. in terms of uh, an ideal customer for us. And so that's uh, that really means if, if, it, if we're talking about a, a, a coin with only a hundred million dollar market cap and you know, less than a million dollars of daily liquidity, that, that's just not a good market or not a good asset for us to play in. That <clears throat> There's not enough um, there to justify the marketing and effort to, to support it. So who is your ideal client? Are these people who, you know, have many millions of dollars and they've just got, you know, 20% or something of their portfolio in crypto? Are some of them maybe, you know, one thing that came to mind for me was ICOs. So ICOs typically are raising a lot of money in Ether or Bitcoin, and then they're just sitting on it. A lot of the ICOs we've talked to, um, you know, they're losing 20% of the amount of capital that they have on any given day. And a lot of times they're just sitting on it. So, um, you know, are you moving more towards ICOs or it's really just private investors at this point? I'd say generally the, the bulk of our clients are you know, long-term um, holders that they've held for maybe a number of years. Uh, they have a very low cost basis. Uh, that means, you know, if they decide to sell, there's a um, significant tax event that they'd be looking at. And um, so utilizing us can kind of be one way to, to perhaps manage that burden better and um, have an alternative to selling. Uh, we do see uh, definitely some businesses and institutions uh, have, have some crypto funds that come through. Um, ICOs we've talked to. We haven't uh, worked with too many yet. Um, just have had, uh, I'd say, probably one that, that we've um at least done done something with, but uh, with ICOs that unlike maybe um, individuals or other folks that have a business that earns money, um, you know, ICOs aren't, aren't earning dollars. They're not um, having USD come in necessarily that they'd be using to you know make interest payments with regularly. So mm-hmm. um, they are if they were to establish a loan with us, they'd need to you know be selling constantly parts of their treasury to pay interest payments and. And so I think, you know, that can sometimes be a logical choice depending on the situation. Um, it's uh, it's yet to get to be seen whether uh, a good majority of ICOs would really still want to leverage a solution like this. So when you talk about interest payments, so I, I guess they're all made in USD. And mm-hmm. in the case of your interest payments, how do they compare to the alternatives that these people might have as far as rates? I think we're generally pretty competitive. Uh, and you know, we're one big use case where we do um, see a lot of overlap and and parity on rates in certain cases is uh, in commercial real estate. Um, a lot of folks are uh, leveraging their Bitcoin to get some cash that they'll then use to purchase real estate, either for flipping or perhaps for a first home or um, you know any any number of, of, of reasons why they'd want to buy some property. And uh, you know, accepting you know first uh, home mortgages where you know, it's the owner occupied residence where you, know, you can see interest rates these days and as low as like four and five and six percent, um, usually in fits a second property or, or a commercial use property. Um, now that your rates start to be in the teens, and that tends to be where our interest rates are in that kind of 12 to 14 percent um, annual percentage rate type range. Uh, so that there's a lot of good comparison there and crossover. Um, some folks sometimes with you know, really excellent credit, you can get loans from online uh, sources for less than 10 percent. Um, so that's not always as competitive, but you many times those those uh, 
how if this limits you to maybe $50,000 at a time or, or you know, per loan or, or at any given time or that kind of a thing. Well, uh, we can do substantially more than that um, through a secured loan. So um, we do see, you know, the rates going down over time. They, uh, they're, they're just kind of where they are right now because that's, you know, this is a new asset class. Uh, not all the capital providers and folks we talk to to um, finance these loans are um, comfortable with Bitcoin yet. They, they just yeah. don't, don't treat it like a, a full asset maybe that, uh, that we do and believe in it to be. So, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of demanding these higher rates of return. And, but I think that'll come down over time. A big comparison of things like the securities lending industry, a big industry that has many billions of dollars of loans outstanding against stocks and bonds. Um, and in those industries, uh, and this isn't even just talking about margin loans or, or loans that you get leveraged to trade with. Um, these are still loans that you're using to buy a house or um, make an investment or something uh, outside of uh, buying more securities. And you know, those interest rates are definitely below 10%. Um, sometimes as low as two or three uh, percent, and so we see that you know over time we think the market's going to shift that way. Doubt holds this year, probably not even next year, but over time, um, as and if the uh, kind of crypto industry maintains daily liquidity and all the good um, good things it has going, the public ecosystem, you'll see rates come down like that. We believe. So you you're holding the crypto as collateral essentially. So you know if you take out a car loan they're gonna essentially own the title to your car so do you guys own the rights to the crypto at that point if they default and how was the process i guess the regulatory framework for making that all happen was it far more difficult than typical lending was you know did you run into a lot of problems or are you just sort of treating it like any other asset class and it's been pretty okay as a result so yeah it's definitely one of the um kind of interesting rabbit holes to go down as you uh, want to take uh, what, what's called a security interest in um, some new form of asset. Um, it's actually interesting. I've, I've really wanted to find a history on, you know, how car loans started because, uh, yeah, while, you know, we do get to have the great idea now of um, you get a car loan and the and now the um, title is either in the bank's name or, or the bank has some you know, lien on the title and that's, that's, that's kind of registered with the state. Um, that didn't exist when there weren't cars and there weren't car titles. Yeah. So, you know, to, to kind of have the idea that that had to come about at some point and that that was probably also a, a supremely enabling you know, lubricant to um, the idea of financing cars and, and making car loans possible um, is, is kind of probably an interesting part of financial history. But um, you know, the way those, those things work are that you know, each state has a, has, a, has a code or set of statutes that dictate how um, so these security interests are, are registered and what makes them valid. Um, and uh, depending on the type of asset that you're, you're interested in getting a lien on, you're um, going to be following a, a procedure one or the other to, in order to, to get that lien. If it's a home, it's really straightforward. If it's a, if it's a um, auto you know, title, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Those are their own sections. Um, but then you have the section uh, called um, for things that are called general intangibles, and, and that kind of grab-all bucket are things like uh, royalty rights or uh, patents or things you can't always kind of quite put your hand on. And so um, it's still an open question. There's not a lot of rulings or case history on uh, whether Bitcoin is, is is in this asset class or according to the UCC or whether it might be in uh, consider something that's like a financial instrument, more like a stock or bond, which has its own um, you know, lien registering system. Uh, so within the, just considering that's a general intangible, which it's been the kind of uh, more general opinion uh, that, that that we found across uh, most attorneys we've talked to. That's uh, to, in order to get that security interest, you can have it um, in some ways through uh, having just control of the asset, which uh, we do in effect today. And then as well, you can have it through filing a um, 
UCC1 filing, which is just a filing with the Secretary of State that says, hey, for this borrower, this person, um, this property that I identify on this you know, piece of paper is uh, something that we have a, a lien on or that you know, we're first in line kind of creditor uh, for that asset uh, should the person mm -hmm. go bankrupt. Um, so that's kind of the, the status of, of where we sit. I, I do see and think that you know, long term, um, the blockchain is amazing, uh, much, much better you know, record keeping system for things like liens and um, keeping track of security interests and, and things like that. So it's, it's kind of an exciting area to, um, to watch develop that it's going to take many, many years, but um, you know, one day you know, we won't have to, we won't have the kind of maybe uncertainty or some of the vagueness about how Bitcoin needs to be treated um, under those, these, these older regulations. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So when you when you have when you take customers cryptocurrency, what do you do with it? I assume you guys are putting it in cold storage somewhere. But are you, you know, ever taking it out? Are you ever are you trying to find alternative uh, revenue streams with the crypto? Are you worried about massive price swings in the case that, you know, someone defaults? So say the price of Bitcoin goes to zero or, you know, something, maybe not zero, but significantly lower, how would that affect your business and how have you hedged against something like that? So, yeah, uh, first it's most important to you know, really guarantee security of the collateral and uh, give clients as much transparency and you know, assurity, assuredness about um, the, the, the status of their collateral. It still is their property. It's just something we have you know, some rights to. Um, but, the, but you know, again, part of the transaction here is that they're not having to sell it. It's, it still remains theirs for the duration of the loan um, and, and after the loan assuming it's paid. So um, we, for every loan that we issue, there's, there's a unique address created for that loan. And uh, the collateral gets deposited in that address. It is a, a multi-signature address. Um, all the keys to that address are held in sto cold storage in, in multiple geographic locations. And uh, they... Um, and so we, we don't do anything like rehypothecating or you know, relending out the collateral or anything like that. Possibly mm -hmm. someday that could be an option for us, but just not today. And um, sorry, what was the maybe the second part of your question? <laughs> yeah. So um, as far as finding alternate, uh, oh, sorry. Um, so if if the price of the asset goes That's right. low enough to the point where, say, I you know I take out a loan for a million dollars when. Bitcoin was $20,000 back in December. Why would I not just default on the loan and if it went down to $200 a coin? And, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so risk risk management and hedging yep. and that, that, that stuff. Yeah, so uh, we do have a, a margin call policy and part of a, any, okay. any loan we, we give that there's a certain set of uh, limits and um, kind of uh, cure period, say, for our clients that kind of come through on a on a margin call. So when we, we issue a loan, we... we um, Get every loan we give, uh, on the, for the most part, we loan up to 50% loan to value. Um, that's equivalent to uh, the, uh, the inverse of that is a 200% collateral to principal ratio. Um, and so if there's a price decline, uh, we'll, we'll send out notifications as that, that ratio worsens. And there's a uh, margin call that gets issued at 150% collateral to principal ratio, which is the same as a 25% price drop from whenever we issued mm -hmm. the loan. At that time, clients have two days to post more collateral. Uh, or we may dec declare the loan default. Um, we make every effort to contact clients. We email, we'll, we'll um, even telegram them or we'll text and call. Uh, so we, we have so far never had to um, sell or liquidate anyone's collateral um, <laughs> without their consent. Uh, um, and so that's basically um, what happens as far as margin call. And then if, if things decline further, we do get to just you know, liquidate things at 110% 
um, that's sort of in our, in our contracts, and that's the, the kind of floor at which um, we'll liquidate everything to cover principal and outstanding interest. Uh, but again, so far, no loans have had to hit that. As everyone's been responsive, and no one really wants to sell their Bitcoin or, or see it get sold out from under them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now that, that certainly makes sense. So I, I read a little bit on your Twitter that you guys had announced working with Trezor potentially. So what uh, what are you guys doing with them and how do they factor into your business? Um, yes, we, we don't have a um, necessarily direct relationship or a business development mm -hmm. relationship with them. But um, we recently uh, released a, I guess really back in March, we released a um, open source you know, Ethereum contract for doing multi-signature uh, storage of Ethereum. Uh, within a contract, as as maybe many are aware, last year there was issues with several of these um, multi-sig contracts in Ethereum um, that had that had you know, funds stolen or frozen. Um, and yeah. so we, uh, while it was really important to us to in accepting Ethereum as collateral, we still wanted uh, um, to have a you know, cold storage multi-sig be part of the the solution. We just weren't comfortable using most of the contracts that were out there. So we wrote our own. It's very simple. Uh, it's uh, had an audit done by Hosho and had a bug bounty on it for several months. Uh, but we uh, key for us was was having that support um, Trezor as a, as a hardware wallet choice for folks, and so we released the um, the contract and an adapt that's associated with it, so you know, folks can kind of create their own um, contracts or their own vaults if they if they would like and and use utilize Trezors for uh, storing their keys. So, do you foresee moving to clients with fewer assets, so smaller loans? Um... I guess what what would you say is the average you know the average loan taken out now, and are you interested in going towards you know the more consumer market for people who aren't putting you know who aren't I guess accredited investor types? No, I'd say yeah, definitely our our loan our average loan sizes are uh, in the six figures. We um, and we do probably intend to keep that there at least you know and, and grow those those loans over time. Um, I think uh, just the way we're set up, we do give very good you know, personal service to folks and have a phone number that clients can call and um, have an active client services team. And so a lot of that sort of um, fits better, pairs better with larger loan sizes than you know, perhaps necessarily um, you know, doing loans of, of 1000 or $2,000 at a time. Uh, there are, I think, other good solutions in the market for folks that, that, are, um, that would like that. And so I, I would assume that there are only so many people domestically who have, you know, six figures in crypto who want to take out a loan. So have you been looking into international markets, trying to target some of these people? You know, how are you going about finding your customers? Uh, and is that something that's easy to do? Are they coming to you? Are you putting a lot of time into marketing? Um, how does that work? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'd say uh, most of our clients so far have really found us um, just by coming through inbound or, or through word of mouth. Uh, when we launched last, late last year, we were really the first lender to be actively lending uh, in, across at least uh, two dozen states. Um, the first lender to get a, um, a license to lend in California. Um, and so we, we just kind of been pretty well established, I think, just as far as um, coming out the gate as, as really the first folks um, doing this actively um, and, and in reality instead of just maybe um, doing an ICO or something. So um, we... I think just been able to use that re reputation or have that you know, reputation help us uh, you know, put a good for face forward in the market for folks to come. Um, we have talked to some international clients. We do have a, a few that are um, in Europe, but but not very many. Um, we do like to take our time and make sure we research whatever jurisdiction um, bars are in and make sure that we can be compliant um, for any 
um, any loans we might issue to them. And that, that and so that we do have, a, for instance, a larger minimum loan size for international clients. It's, that's that's $100,000 versus uh, domestically in most states, our minimum loan size is $10,000. Minimum, okay, 10,000. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a pretty reasonable amount, I think. So do you think there will ever be a move to sort of blockchain credit scores and more and more loans taking place within cryptocurrencies, especially one thing I've always been curious about is peer to peer lending to see if you know, that could ever be the case where you remove the centralization completely and allow people to conduct these processes amongst themselves. So do you see there always be a do you see there always being a middleman for loans or a company, you know, specific to lending, or do you think someday people will decentralize a lot of these processes? Yeah, I think I think there's always a like a, a push and pull and a you know a, a decentralization and then a recentralization that kind of occurs with these yeah. um, these kinds of assets. You, you uh, and you and you saw it you know, really in the last even ten years with online lenders as you had Lending Club and Lending Tree and a lot of these folks yeah. come online really with this this promise of trying to be a peer to peer lender. Um, but as they grow and as they scale, you know you really kind of start to find is if you if you if your demands are such that you need to put a hundred million dollars to work in a quarter, um, you know out out to loans, mm. um, it's really hard to find the you know million plus investors you need at the, what is that, just $100 or, or the, you know, the 500,000 investors you need at, um, the, if that's $20,000 uh, per investor. I would need to just do, scribble the math out real quick, but but yeah, there's sure. it, it it's too hard. So it's a real scale challenge to find that many people for low dollar amounts that, that help you scale. And so these bigger lenders, and if you look at you know, who's buying loans or who provides the capital inside a lending club kind of ecosystem, it's majority you know, institutions or, uh, or hedge funds that might be organized, um, you know, to put in, you know, uh, by now billions of dollars uh, towards these consumer loans that are originated on these platforms. So um, that's something we kind of observed early. I think um, I think there is still room, and there's always going to be the potential, and there should be for um, you know, individuals and folks to kind of participate in these loans and find good platforms that they can, you know, uh, can be be a lender, say, or, or have um, a portion of, of loans that get outstanding. But if you're a loan originator and you're, you're thinking about scale, you're thinking about um, you know, how to get your money in bulk. Um, yeah. and, and you and you might find it usually to be cheaper that way, too, because um, that's folks that have like you know, $100 million or say to deploy in, um, in, inside of lenders or loan lending facilities. Um, their acceptable interest rates might be lower um, just because it can be harder to find good rates of return at, at that size. Yeah, yeah. So do you worry, I mean, you talked a little bit about central banking and just banking in general. So do you think some bigger institutions are going to start moving into crypto? Do you worry about banks coming in and trying to do something similar? Um, or do you think they're going to stay away for a time? I think, uh, I mean, based on our experience talking to um, you know, lenders and many times, uh, which are banks and, and folks that you know, mm -hmm. we talk to, to, to be a partner for um, lending through us. Uh, I mean, they're still so nervous and you know, skeptical uh, or just um, unsure <laughs> about the space and yeah. uh, the asset class that um, I think that, that we're still many months, if not still years away from a bank trying to do this directly. Um, I think you'd probably see some banks work with uh, folks like us before before they would they would dive in and try to do it themselves. I think you also have real marketing challenges there as, as if you're this big bank, banking brand and then you suddenly want to put on a face towards, uh, you know, diehard Bitcoin uh, OGs or something like that. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't necessarily have 
you know, the best, easiest time um, uh, winning those folks as customers. Yeah. Well, one, one industry that kind of comes to mind for me is miners because a lot of miners want to mm -hmm. maintain liquidity within their assets uh, to scale, even if, you know, they have a mining company. So that, that seems like an interesting, cause I think that is one big problem within the industry that you're trying to address is just the liquidity. When prices go down, people don't want to sell and you have cash flow problems in all of these businesses that I've certainly seen firsthand. Um, do you think, um, well, you know, so are there any other crypto companies, I guess, that you see doing something that you think is really exciting or special? Are there certain coins that you personally keep an eye on? How, how active are you in the market aside from being a part of the company? Um, yeah, and, and uh, to your first point, just briefly, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, a miner was our, our very first customer, and um, yeah. and so we definitely see good good demand pretty consistently from miners uh, who, who might be you know, building up um, their, their their stash or their, their assets rather than um, just selling them all the time. And then, yeah, as far as what else um, excites me in the crypto ecosystem, um, you know, I'm, I'm still I'm a fan of the various activities and things that are happening on top of Bitcoin. Um, I think the Lightning Network is, is exciting. There's, there's a lot of uncertainty and things to be figured out about it. Um, but but you know, watching things like that, Satoshi's Flates and some of the other apps that are coming out on top of it are, are pretty neat and, and show, um, I think, really that, that advantage of, of going towards layer two type solutions. Um, you know, obviously, Ethereum is also uh, pretty fascinating for its um, its own kind of capabilities and, and the own its own challenges that it has to solve over the next um, couple of years. I have enjoyed looking at uh, uh, Dharma, the Dharma protocol, which is uh, I believe mostly built on Ethereum today, and um, mm -hmm. it's very related to our business as a um, kind of a loan uh, marketplace, so to speak. And um, so there's a lot of parallels and, and things you know to be learned, kind of watching them execute and, and what they do. And you know, let me think of kind of what other you know projects that excite me. It's it's so early in the space, yeah. and and you know it's it's gotten so far kind of out over its skis and so much in, in terms of just all evaluations and um, yeah. you know, the number of tokens that are worth a hundred million dollars or so. It's just, <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, I, I try to have a way more uh, tempered uh, view of things, uh, I suppose. Uh, yeah. You, so you think there'll, there'll be more of a consolidation before we see it taken more mainstream? And I guess one question I would like to ask is, I think, I, I'm assuming you're coming more from a financial background, but you do have a lot of, of tech background as well, and that's similar to my experience. Do you see sort of this push and pull between the finance sector and the tech sectors as to the direction of crypto and which industry it really fits in? Hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think there's, um, I mean, just picking up on that point that there is, I think, I think that's one of the things that a lot of the people missed early on with the idea of, um, uh, you know, it's, it's about the blockchain technology, not necessarily perhaps the Bitcoin. Um, it's that you know, money kind of has its own center of gravity, in it, and insofar as Bitcoin has been able to um, become valuable, and some of these other cryptocurrencies have become valuable, they, they start to create their own, um, their own like, yeah. Best way I can put it is, is gravity, and, and gravity kind of within the social sphere as people like flies to um, to something sweet or, or to or moss to a flame kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, it sort of draws people in and, and people uh, maybe miss that, like, Hey, there, there's actually a market there. That's actually people with um, what is effectively money now, you know, which is just in the form of yeah. Bitcoin. Um, and they, that, that becomes its own valid 
customer segment, its own um, client population. And so then now you switch to, okay, well, you put the more the finance mode or the financial uh, minded person and marketing person minded person, um, you put those thoughts forward and you think about, well, what kind of products can I build for those people? And what is the market sizing there? And, um, you know, how, how can this, this segment be better served where it's just not today? Um, and then by doing that, you have to then go back and put your technology hat on because um, this technology still is new and you have to figure out things like how is this stuff going to be kept safely? Um, how are you going to talk to blockchains? What do you want to have actually execute on a blockchain in a smart contract versus just have done on a centralized server somewhere? Um, and then and you're trying to really manage kind of an integration uh, with with this, this public blockchain ecosystem uh, versus just trying to, you know, take some code and, and implement it inside of an organization or an enterprise that's really kind of going to where the capital is and the customer base is versus, um, you know, just trying to just copy it from outside in. Yeah. And I think, you know, education has been one of the most important things within this industry and it's something a lot of companies have struggled with. So, you know, reading through your blog, I, I really enjoyed a lot of the articles. How, how did you guys decide to utilize certain education and, I guess, uh, news and certain other things. So one reason we started, you know, we started our own news site, our own news app, and we did that just because a lot of the articles coming out, we noticed were written by people who really didn't know what they were talking about, and uh, there was a lot of blatant misinformation. You had, you know, some hedge funds trying to bid up Bitcoin cash, and uh, there were a lot of pump and dump schemes. So how did you guys approach, I guess, the outreach and education portion of your business? Yeah, we... Um... I guess we we thought about just trying to put put out really something authentic. I mean, it, being a space that that is so full of um, honestly, you know, scams, outright out, outright lies, uh, yeah. you know, real um, overpromising, and uh, and you know, really taking advantage of people's um, you know natural inclinations to look for good opportunities and look for you know ways to turn this this you know magic internet money that has gone from uh, you know, pennies uh, per Bitcoin to, sure. to whatever it is today and, and, and then trying to reinvest that in other things that um, can, can also have maybe give them back a return. There's just so much, um, so, so much poor ethics out there. So that, that really to just to try to put out you know, good sane content that's well-informed um, that, uh, that also shows off, you know, perhaps some of our more technical um, chops and that speaks to um, this audience that, that we're really trying to go for, which are, the, the real you know, long-term holders out there that um, believe in this stuff and are in, in it for the right reasons um, and potentially have a large capital base and, and, the, and the desire to use that for other things, you know, using dollars for, for, for those purposes, um, that, that, that just really aligns with kind of having good content. And, um, and also just, yeah, rather than invest your time in trying to do a token or market that or, you know, just sell people on something, we figure it's just better to put out um, content that, is good and people can value for themselves on whether they think we're you know, full of crap or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think you guys have done a great job with that. I really enjoyed reading through your articles. So, thanks. Just to sort of, uh, I guess, wrap things up a little bit. If you had one investment you were going to make in crypto, you know, where would you go now? Do you think the place to be is mining? Do you think you would just buy a coin and hold it? Um, you know, are you someone who? thinks that day trading is a good idea. What, what would be your general investment strategies if you were just going to throw one out there? Hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but I, you know, I do really believe that the, uh, crypto backed loan market is, um, 
uh, you're really poised for a lot of growth here. I think uh, there's um, it's, it's not crazy to believe there's going to be you know hundreds of millions of dollars uh, worth of cap of, of U.S. dollars that's outstanding in loans mm-hmm. that are secured by cryptocurrency within yeah. um, just a few years. Uh, so it's definitely a space to watch, and I think it's um, it's one of the ways that you'll you'll see uh, a lot of traditional finance, I think, kind of just being pulled in to this ecosystem, um, almost kicking and dragging. It's just you know, hey, these, these rates are too good, and the and these loans are so so low risk for for the return, perhaps. Um, that uh, that that's that's going to really help um, kind of mature the ecosystem and, and bring other players to the table. So that's that's just one area I'm, I'm biased, and I mean I think. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of other you know, more obvious stories out there, whether it's the institutions coming because of custody or um, and these other avenues and things that are being tried. That, you know, that those are also interesting, of course, too. But I, I think that still lending is, is it's got a lot of legs. And quickly to tack on to that, how did you guys approach the fundraising uh, situation? Did you guys go the VC route? Did you bootstrap? Um, how did you? Because so many crypto companies, you know, they have a range of options. So I'm just curious what you picked and why you decided to do it that way. Sure. So uh, with, with Drew's and my background um, through InfoChimps, we, we, we were familiar with uh, venture capital and fundraising through more traditional uh, startup technology uh, type memes, means. And so that's that's the kind of you know, route we, we were biased towards in the beginning. And uh, But we knew we also didn't want to go through that route um, until we had good traction and, and really kind of demonstrated uh, that there's a market here and that you know, we have a, a solution for it. So that uh, we, we did bootstrap for much of last year. Uh, we raised some small amounts of money on from uh, like friends and family on seed uh, uh, notes, convertible notes. And then um, we did a price round, did a, a our series seed round um, that we closed actually last month uh, for just about two and a half million dollars of, of new money. Um, so with that, you know, under our belts, it just gives us a good foundation for um, maintaining our engineering efforts and con- continuing and growing to, s- to scale the business. On the lending capital side, that's been its own um, journey and challenge of, of finding you know, folks who are comfortable in the asset class, comfortable you know, lending against it at the rates we're talking about. Um, and it's really kind of a process of just working your way up the food chain from uh, small individuals or high net worth in- uh, investors to credit funds, to eventually banks and bigger institutions. And that, that's just sort of uh, what that ladder looks like for us. Yeah, I think it's really smart to make sure you get some traction before you approach the fundraising uh, rounds because you see a lot of crypto companies trying to go in and essentially raise funds more like Kickstarter than an actual um, VC or startup roadmap. Yeah, and it gives you so much uh, negotiating leverage and and it actually creates, you know, almost a sense of FOMO um, in the the investor's mindsets much much more and much more effectively than... Um, raising on uh, you know some slide deck or uh, token promises. Yeah, yeah, they all want to get get into it, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of sketchy teams, a lot of people who really don't know what we're what they're doing, and it's it's been scary to me just to talk to these companies that seem so legitimate on the outside and only come in to realize it's three guys and they're uh, mm-hmm. they really have no idea what they're doing. So mm-hmm. it's certainly something I've noticed, and that's one of the reasons we. Uh, tried to put together this podcast so that we could talk to people and people could hear from the founders themselves and make that decision on their own. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on to talk to this, uh, to talk to us about this. Is there anything you wanted to close with any uh, links or anything you wanted to direct people towards? 
Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Been a pleasure. Glad to be here. Um, if folks are interested in um, uh, leveraging their, their Bitcoin or Ethereum and, and, and uh, putting those assets to work uh, through a secured loan, they, uh, we'd love for them to stop by. We're at unchained-capital.com. Um, should be able to sign up for an account or, or request an invite. And um, well, our, our client service team will be glad to take care of you and um, help you get a loan through us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and thank you guys for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode. Stay tuned. Thanks, Joseph. Yeah, you bet.